0: the Lord, praise the Lord, and that is all we need to praise the Lord. My name is Rosa Mendez, and I am of the 201 um, leaders, and I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony, what the Lord has been doing in my life. God is good. God is great. Even in the middle of my hardship, I can see his love. I can see how um, good he is and his favor in my life, and I, I am ready to worship him this morning. Are you okay? Uh, we're gonna pray. Uh, before we're gonna start, uh, worship the Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you because I know you're here, Lord. Your worth to be praised, and we are here to worship you, to lift up your name, to proclaim your name, and to bless you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.
1: Could we'll just give them praise this morning. Good morning. Would we just lift your hands in praise. God, you're in this place. God, we thank you that you would meet with your people, that you are faithful. Holy Spirit, come have your way. We question you. We lift our hearts to you this morning. Well, come on and tell them. We give you our praise. We give you our lives, O Lord. It all belongs to you, Whoa, come on, lift your voice this morning, it all belongs to you, Lord, who we are, we bless your name, Jesus. those hands, come on. We'll sing Roll Back the Curtains. Roll back the curtains from the lives And now we can see you. Show us you way to your life. We'll sing We Offer. We offer our lives to bring you faith. We're and in your freedom. We're in your. We're giving, we're giving it all away, away. We're giving, we're giving it all to go. When their lifestyle, down, close We're giving it all away, away. We're giving it all to go. We're just the voices we're giving. We're giving it all. We're giving it all. Come on, sing go it out. Come on, we're giving. We're giving it all. We're giving it all. I give it to Jesus. I lay it at Your feet. We're giving it all to go Your way. Come on, sing it again. We're giving. We're giving it all. place we ask that even in this time of worship, you will move in power amongst the sky that our praise would bring some breakthrough this morning we give you praise come oh, yeah. right now and put his finger on some things and he's gonna tell you I want that maybe some things in our lives have been consuming us we can say to ourselves we haven't been on fire as we once were there's been some shifts in my life and I just don't feel Jesus the way I used to when he used to speak to me from the word whenever I used to read the Bible it would impact me in such a way where I know that was God but lately that hasn't been happening an attitude of worship would you just begin to position yourself put yourself in a place where God can come over you right now and say I want that from you this is the reason why you haven't been feeling me it's because that has taken my place we return to you this morning God your people we return to you we lay down our idols before you we lay down our fears our troubles our health issues God we lay it down before you come on Would you lay it down before the Lord? Oh, give it all to you. give it all to you. Oh, I saw for you. We return to you, Lord. We return. church that believes that the Holy Spirit can speak. This morning he's already pressing upon people's hearts. Right now we're just going to give time for the Holy Spirit to use this church to speak. So if you feel like you have a word, a prophetic word in this place, would you share it with the house this morning? place, that need to return to the Lord, that need to repent, this is what we're going to do, we're going to turn this altar up into a place of sacrifice, we're going to come up before the Lord and just give him our sins, so right now if that's you, I'm just going to pray over you, there are three individual words, and the Lord is dealing with your heart, God we thank you for your word and how you bring us back, Holy Spirit, consume our hearts this morning. God, we pray for those people, God, right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, snatch them from the fire. Come on, right now, if you know that was you, no shame. Come up to this altar. God will meet you here. No shame. God is meeting you here. Come on. We call them forth, Jesus. You call them forth. In power, we break the chains. We break the shame. In Jesus' name. We ask for the power of the Lord to break chains in his place. Come on. Oh you can take it all. You can take it all before we return. Two. So hard.
2: All we want is you, Jesus. All we desire in our hearts, in our minds, is you, Jesus Christ. You, Jesus, come on. Tell Jesus, I desire you, I want you. Come on, for those that God is dealing with, let go of that sin, repent of it already. You're welcome to come up to the altar and just lay before Him that sin. Please do so I plead you to repent of the ways that you know that are wrong Jesus said that on his coming in the last days there will be wars rumors of wars there will be famines and earthquakes he is coming soon it is time to repent it is time to get right he is coming soon I right now I want to lift up Egypt, Libya, Australia all the nations Oh, God, that are suffering the violence of Islam. Father God, I pray for these nations. Oh, Lord, we ask for your peace upon these nations. Oh, God. God, we will be a church that we ask you, God, for what you're possible of doing, Lord. Jesus, bring your peace upon these nations. Let your bride, your church here get cleansed once and for all and do what it's meant to do, oh, Lord. To be a people, Lord, that will pray. that we a people that will live holy and pure before you, Jesus. Oh, God. You're coming. Jesus is coming. He is coming soon. And to this morning is a chance to repent. Oh, Lord, I lift up the man that put that video, the anti-Islam, to you right now, Lord. God, the foolish acts, Lord God, that caused the whole world to go into eruption of nonsense, ignorance, actions, Lord, just burning up buildings, oh God, we ask for your mercy, Lord, even though you said it was going to happen, God, but we're asking, Lord, we are here representing you, Jesus, and when there's prayer in the saints, there is change in the world. Oh God, we ask you that you will bring your peace. Oh God, that your spirit will come upon these Muslims, Lord, and they will turn to you, Jesus Christ. We ask you to bring your peace upon the world, oh God. We bind that spirit of Antichrist now to leave this world in the name of Jesus Christ, oh God. Bring, Father, your spirit as it's moving all over the world, God. Bring it more, oh God. The enemy will not have this world because the church will pray. So, I want us right now to take 30 seconds because God has given you the power. He says, When you bind a nurse, you be bound in heaven. When you loose, your nurse will be loose. Take 30 seconds to pray. Church, let's go. Let's pray for this world. Whatever's in your heart. Hallelujah. God, we give you thanks that you heard the praise of the saints, Lord, of every person individual this year. You call, Father God, to be, Lord, a people that will impact this world, Father. I pray that this morning you will expand our minds, your expand our hearts, that our hearts will be open more to your will, God, that our faith will increase, Lord, God, and believe who you say that you are in our lives, oh, Father. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for this morning. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can please find your way back your seats in an attitude of prayer. My name is Pastor Bertel, campus pastor here at the Old David Park, Metro Praise International. I'm going to present to you a message of salvation. You get ready to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, please. I want you to understand that God created you and I to walk with Him. This God of, of heaven there is a heaven, there's an earth, and there is a hell. There's a devil that's trying to take your life away. This God, Yahweh. Desires that we will walk with Him. He says in Genesis that He created us in His image so that we may walk with Him. God desires fellowship. Genesis 3.8. When God came in the cool of night looking for Adam after he had sinned, Adam was hiding. It's because of what sin does, it will make you run away from God. You will not want to be near God. But God, it says right there in Genesis 3.8, He says... Adam, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you hiding from me? See, he created us for that so that we may walk with him. For his glory. For his glory. For his glory. I pray that God will give you that revelation. And as you're already there on Luke 13, let's read chapter chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It reads, now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. For those 18 who died when the towers in Asylum fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Right here, Jesus is talking to a group of people that were comparing themselves to another group of people that died a a torturous, crucial death. And Jesus says, do you think that these people that were killed and tortured, do you think they were worse sinners? than all the other, than the rest, than you? And Jesus tells them, no. No, there's no comparison. There's no big sin or little sin. Today is yours. There's Get no the most out of it Sin is, is equal. Sin the is sin. And Jesus says, SUV no, I tell ever. you, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And the ones that died because of the the, the, the collision of the, of the building, same thing. No, unless you repent, you two will perish. Jesus Christ is calling you to repent this morning. Oh God. He's calling you to repent. I feel it in my spirit there's people that just went back to that sin, that hatred towards that person. Jesus wants you to repent. Sex out of marriage. Cheating with the spouse, repent. Lies, repent. There's a need of repentance. As I was saying, Jesus is on his way back. Do you think the people that died 9-11, that deserved such torturous torture is were the worst that battle of sinners, more than you know? If they did not repent, those that died, they will perish as well. And if you're here this morning, if you're dealing with that sin, that sin that you know that you keep dealing with, it's time to repent for that sin. Repentance is to turn away from sin, it's to turn back to God. Repentance is saying, Jesus, I give you what you died on the cross for when Jesus was crucified. He shed his blood. He took upon the punishment that you deserved, you and I deserve on that cross. So you may not suffer that punishment, so you may not suffer that death that eternal life gives, that will lead you to perishing. Sin will lead you to perishing. When there is repentance, there is eternal life. When there's no repentance, you will perish. You look at your sin right now and say, I will turn away by the own your own power, your own strength, your own will. You have to get a hold of that sin. You gotta grasp yourself, and say, I'm done with this sin. No more of this sin. I repent. If you did not repent, you will perish. In the attitude of prayer, I want to pray right now for those that need that repentance. And for those that need discipleship, for those that want to get connected to a life group, Jessica and Saul are going to be in the back. I want you to talk with them. I want to pray for those that are having a hard time to humble themselves, to repent. Father God, I lift up your people, your creation, the ones you love, Lord. Oh God, I lift them up right now to you. Father, I pray that you give them the, the courage and the strength to confess and repent to you, Lord, to give to you what you, what belongs to you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you call us to live a life that imitates you, Jesus. That's why you give us the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, I pray that you give them courage, that your conviction right now will come into their hearts. Oh, God, I lift up the people as well, Lord, that have been running away from discipleship, that think that they can walk themselves with Jesus without more accountability, Lord. I pray, Father, that you give them the courage as well. but Lord, to get plugged into a life group, to stay accountable, Lord. Oh, God, bless your people, Lord. And I pray for those that are repenting, Lord, already have repent, that they will know that they're forgiven, Lord Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you believe that message, if you repented, if you believe that prayer that Jesus has forgiven you from your sin, and it's time to get into discipleship, to stay accountable. I want you to read with me this confession of faith. At account of three, let's read it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purpose and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the death. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell should not prevail. I believe in the salvation of all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. For the next couple minutes, we want, we want you to fellowship. If you can please stand. Treat your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor across the room.
3: You can begin to make your way back to your seats. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them you love them. It's so good to see you here this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Metro Praise International. We love you. We bless you. Slap somebody high-five and just say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Can you do that? Can all slap somebody high-five? Can you ladies do that? Slap somebody high-five? amen. Amen. I want to welcome you all here to Metro Praise International. We are here because Jesus Christ loves you and has a plan for your life. We are so glad that you came here this morning. I want you to just to look to somebody else and say, "I'm glad you're here this morning." Just, let's just thank them. Come on, one more time. Say, "I'm so happy, 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 you're here." Because think about it, man. I mean, if they weren't here today, they wouldn't be next to you. They wouldn't be laughing with you. They wouldn't be smelling good. Doesn't your neighbor smell good? If your your neighbor looks nice, tell them they look nice this morning. You look nice. Come on. Amen. So good to have you here. Metro Praise International meets every Sunday morning here at 10 a.m., Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, and Friday Elevate. Come on at 7.30. We are so excited about what God is doing in this new season of transition. If you were not here last week, you need to pay attention very carefully as we hand you some new flyers uh, about this transition we're going to be going through. Everybody say relaunch. We are going to be meeting in a new facility starting next month, okay? We will not be here at Irving after this month. We explained it last week. We went through it. That's why you got to be at church every week. If you have questions about it, one of your life group leaders or one of our pastors would love to explain it to you. But I want you to get these flyers in your hand right now uh, for the relaunch. And I want you to begin to pray because we're going back to our old facility to start a new season of church planning. And the reason why we're doing it is we need to get released from this building. This building and the expenses and what we have had to do here is just too much. And we need to go back to a place that is more affordable so we can start other churches our goal since we've been here has been to have uh 50 churches in chicago and so we want you to relaunch with us back at the diversity campus october 7th okay everybody say relaunch thank you i want you to get this don't show up in october we won't be here for the rest of september everything's the same but october we will be over there and you're going to hear all of those exciting things about that and i wrote a blog about that we talked about it everybody just say amen Amen. So we got all the information you need to catch up. And here's an awesome thing we're going to be starting in October in our life groups. Everybody say The Truth Project. Thank you. The Truth Project is something done by Focus on the Family, and we want you to get one of these flyers as well in your hand because what we're going to do in our life groups for the whole month of October, the whole month of November, and December is we're going to take you through these 12 lessons that Focus on the Family made to teach you the truth about the world. And you heard a little bit about that when Alberta was praying about the Islamic thing. Now, let me just say this, uh, and I don't want to correct our pastor, but we live in the home of the free and the land of the brave. We can put free speech, whatever we want to do in this country, in Jesus' name. Amen? And we have soldiers that protect our free speech. So we we pray that the person who made that video knows Jesus, but I don't pray that they don't make that video. I pray there's a hundred more videos that expose Islam and a hundred more free speech videos, even if I don't like them, because we believe in free speech, and you need to understand that because that's part of our worldview. See, Islam wants to uh, kill people to show they're not violent. Did y'all just hear what I said? Islam wants to kill people to show people they're not violent. Islam wants to suppress people in the name of tolerance. (laughs) And it seems like, and I'm not going to get into politics here, though I could, but it it seems like the liberal media and the liberal mindset wants America to be apologizing and America to tuck its tail. No, my friends, that's why the Marine theme song says, To the shores of Tripoli. We've already been to Tripoli. We will go back to Tripoli and show them the democracy in this land, and they don't have the right to kill our, so, our, our d- diplomats on American soil in that embassy. Now, if you don't understand that, we're going to teach you that. The Truth Project is going to get you some truth. The Truth Project is going to teach you about society. See, for too often, we've dumbed down church to not offend anybody, to just tell you stuff to make you feel better, you know, Work on your attitude. Children, obey your parents, husbands and wives. Get along. Did you have a good time at church? Yes, I did. Did it challenge you to think differently? Did it challenge the worldview? No, it just fits right into Oprah Winfrey. It just fits right into everything I see. The Truth Project is going to help develop a Christian worldview in you. For you to understand not only why America is special, but why the Bible Christianity Christianity is special. And the and the so it's going to deal with this. just turn it over, Ver- veritology, what is truth, the philosophy of ethics, number two, anthropology, theology, science, history, sociology, sociology, you see that's where we need to understand, America may not be perfect, but it has some of the best principles devi- derived from the Bible. We are not a Christian government. We are a secular government, but what it was made by Christians. The greatest gift Christians could ever give to a nation is that the church would not control the state. That was the gift of Christians. They didn't want a Christian government. They wanted Christians in government with Christian mindset so that a secular government of free people would have a basis of morals. The American experiment, number lesson number 10, is going to be all of uh, the state. Number nine, whose law? Talking about laws in our land. Number 10, the American experiment. 11, labor created to work. Number 12, community and involvement. Now, by the way, this is not all going to be a, a political thing. It's really based in the Bible. But I just had to step there just a little bit this morning because I want you to know I lost my nephew to the, to the deserts of Afghanistan as a Marine. And I'm telling you right now, uh, you don't want to get too political, but if we had a different president, there would be some different things going on right now with these Muslim nations attacking us. And I wrote a book on Islam, and some of you, you just don't get it. And let me just wake you up to this. The Islamic world hates us. From the time, As I said, from the time of Tripoli, from the time of our, our first war with the Barber states, the, the Ottoman Empire, America's first war, do you know who was it was against? It was against Muslim terrorists who were taking over our supply ships up in northern Africa. Ish, does anybody else read history books besides you? Does anybody else know their history? Do you know that America has been fighting Islam for over 200 years from its beginning, from its inception? We need to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ, amen? So get excited. (laughs) Get happy. Get happy about that. And just understand that the truth project is going to give you a Christian mindset of why we believe what we believe, amen? Amen. And then also, on just a much different note, our family fun night is this month. And uh, we're going to be having, let me put it up here. Can we just put up our family fun night? Thank you. You and I are going back and forth. It's going to be the last Wednesday of the month. We're going to watch The Secret of Jonathan Sperry and have a fun time with the Wii video game. Everybody give it up for family fun night. Amen. See, that's that's the problem of the preacher doing the announcements. I always tell myself, I'll just do it for three minutes. I'll just be done in three minutes. It never happens. Our vision at Metro Praise International is to love God and love people. I'm sorry you can't see that. Our strategy is to connect you to the cross, mentor you with the cross, and send you out. And our goal is to raise up 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches in 500 around the world. And I want to give you a report from our second campus at Wicker Park. They are doing good, and they're getting bigger than they've ever been. Can we give it up for Wicker Park, Metro Praise International? Amen. Our vision comes from the words of Jesus to love God and love people. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength your neighbor as yourself. That's our focus. Our strategy of connect, mentor, send comes from Jesus as well. In Matthew 28, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And that is what we are here to do. And we want to connect you. The first part of our strategy is to get you into our life groups. Is anybody excited about life groups today? Can somebody make some noise? Amen. And life groups are a time of food, fun, and fellowship. You get together during the week in people's homes, and you can learn more about that here at the church by talking to some of the leaders or going to the website. We're also excited about mentoring here. Is anybody excited about mentoring? Can you make some noise? Amen. The first way to start mentoring is to talk to your life group leader and get in our 101 book to develop the skills of Christianity so that you can live for God and have the mindset that he wants you to have. It's on your time, one-on-one, and it's something that will change your life. And is there anybody excited about evangelism sending you out throughout the week? Can you make some noise? Come on. Can I get a little help on the drums, sir? Can you just make some noise with that? Thank you. Woo! There you go. We have over 10 opportunities for you to get involved in evangelism during the week before your life groups, before youth groups, before our Wednesday encounter night and on Saturday and Friday afternoons and evenings, 10 different times to share your faith for Jesus. So what is our vision to love God and love people? What is our strategy, connect, mentor, and send? And I believe if we do those things by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see that goal achieved. If you believe we can do it, can you pump your fist and say, let's do it. As long as I got half of y'all believing it, I'm all right. I want to talk to you about how you can be involved in what we're doing right now. Simply by giving tithes and offerings, you can help us change the world. A tithe, somebody say a tithe. Thank you, a tithe is 10% of your total income. We believe that is what you owe to God. Just as you would think about paying a bill to somebody else, we believe that that is giving to God what is God's. Sometimes people like to boast in that. Oh, I'm a tither, I'm a tither. It's like boasting, you don't murder anybody. I don't murder anybody, I don't murder anybody. This is a command. Can everybody say a command? So I adjure you, I compel you, follow the command and give God a tithe so his church can be blessed. Now, above your tithes are offerings. Everybody say offerings. Offerings. Thank you. And in our church, we have two different ways to give offerings. One, to our building fund to expand what we're doing and to mission so that we can change the world. We have over 150 churches that use our books in three different nations, and we want you to help keep supplying them with the materials to make disciples that make disciples. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We also do online giving, three different ways you can help to support the ministry. One is just through your online bank bill pay. You can see this at our website as well, through Chase Quick Pay, and then you can use PayPal. So online, we are available for you. Would you stand up to your feet with me today and give the Lord a hand clap for blessing you? Come on, I'm bringing you here this morning. Can we thank God? Could you thank him like you mean it? Are you glad to be alive? We believe that God put us here for a reason. We believe that God is using us to change the world. We're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings, and I want to encourage you today to see your plan and purpose in finances is for God's kingdom first. I don't have time to get into it, but I will say this to you. Our culture learned that selfishness does not bless a nation. How many have learned the lesson from this recession? Selfishness in banks, selfishness in big corporations, selfishness in individual consumers. Have we learned a lesson, my friends? How do we realign? How do we put the priorities back in place? Where everybody says, well, I'm gonna take care of my family, I'm gonna take care of my family. Well, that goes back to selfishness, doesn't it? Because it's your family. You're not saying I'm going to take care of somebody else's family, take care of somebody else's. So realigning our priorities isn't just somebody going, well, I'm just going to take care of my family. No, because that still puts you at the first of the list. You know, check number one, take care of my family. The Bible actually puts something above us and our family, for me, for you, and that's his kingdom. Why do you think God asked us to do that? Why do you think he asked us to give 10% of the hard work cash that we make? I mean, I look at some of the jobs that people in our church have and that I've had to have over the years, and the long hours, just the, the grunt work, I mean, just working hard, and yet they give, they give, they give. Why is that so important? Why did God give that as a principle? Because I believe it breaks off of us the mindset of selfishness, and it breaks off us, uh, us that mindset of greed. When I give God 10% of my total income every week, what am I teaching myself? God comes first. God comes first. When I get a raise and I have to rebudget my accounts, you know, what do I have to think? The tithe goes up, right? So it teaches me in everything I do, God is first. Now think of a nation that would learn those principles. Think of all the business owners. Think of all the politicians. Learn to put God first in their finances. Do you think that would help them and determine the way they spend the other 90%? Is it any coincidence when you look at Christian business owners like Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, these guys, that they treat their employees different, they raise minimum wage, they give more time off? Is it any coincidence that when America was established, it's giving to the church, it's supporting of the church was always a priority? You look at things like the Red Cross, Goodwill, I could be here all day, Uh, charities in America are second to none around the world. Do you think there was any coincidence to that correlation? No, because they understood, the founding fathers, that we are not just here for ourselves and our posterity. We are here to honor God upon this earth. The, the, the uh, qualities that we've received have come from our creator. That's why the day of Thanksgiving, have you ever read George Washington? I'm into politics today for whatever reason. Why? Probably because I've been thinking about it all week. Uh, have you ever read George Washington's uh, first Thanksgiving prayer address? Did you understand why? See, we set up a day of thanksgiving, not just because the pilgrims and all of that. The idea was we're going to stop and tell God, thank you. We're going to stop and say, thank you. See, giving today hopefully gets you to stop on the rat race, spinning around, working, spending, working, spending, and you, ah, stop. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Wouldn't be here without you. Wouldn't have my talents without you. Now, God, throughout my week, help me to put you first in my business. Help me put you first in my family. In everything I do, I'm going to put you first in those areas. Raise my family the way you want me to. Treat my employees the way you want me to. Be Be an employee the way you want me to. I ask that you do that today, and that's the hope for this nation. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today that even in the midst of recession, you're blessing your people, you're teaching us valuable lessons, and if nobody else gets it today, I pray Metro Praise International gets it. I pray it starts with us, and then God, we will be a part of the change to realign our focuses back onto you and to your priorities. Father, I just thank you for every person here that acknowledges your truth and serves you, and I pray you bless them and provide for them and give them wisdom in all they do, and Lord, we ask for the churches we support around the world that they will have their needs supplied and that we will be able to do good charitable works here and abroad and lord we ask that last of all for us would you bless us and our children and our children's children in jesus name and can everybody say Amen. Here's a new scripture. Let's say what Jesus said on the count of three. One, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Will you give rejoicing this morning as you come forward? Thank you so much. God bless you. We give it all. Go. Oh. Y'all give it up for the band this morning rocking out. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. Waiting for your album to come out. Come on, download it on iTunes. Well, we're in an awesome series right now called Christ in You. Everybody say, Christ in Me. Yes, we are going through the book of Colossians, learning about Christ and you. It's been an awesome time. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've missed any of the prior lessons, you can go to our YouTube page or website, and you can see all the notes and videos there. It's pretty awesome. Anybody do the blogging or YouTube here? Anybody do that? Check out the website. About four or five of you. Thank you. It's all for you guys. Thank you. All that hard work. Glad it's paying off. Yes. I'm just encouraged. Amen. Well, today, chapter 3, is going to be the message, put your mind on Christ. Let's say that together. One, two, three, put your mind on Christ. You're going to be learning today about this thing we have on the inside, the cantaloupe sized organ we call a brain. You're going to learn today that yourself, your soul actually controls that brain, that your physical body is like a car that your soul drives in. I know that's deep, but I want you to think about that, because if you don't get it, we can't move forward. You have to understand this concept. We are not materialist, meaning we don't believe that all there is is all we see. Materialist would say that when you look at the brain, that is the person. When you lose your brain, the person is gone. We don't believe that. How many believe not in materialism, but you believe in creationism? That God created you with a soul, with a spirit. You believe that on the inside of you, you, when the body dies, that part on the inside lives on. And what do we call that? Soul and spirit. You can look at the soul as your inner self, your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind separate from your brain. Separate from your brain. Because if you go brain dead, your mind is still there. So a brain is an organ, but it's controlled by the mind. Feelings come from nerves and these parts of your body, but emotions are controlled by you. Will could be animal instinct and a physical reaction wanting to punch somebody, but will controls whether or not it acts on those impulses. I want to say this again. You are not just a material body. You are a creation of God. Your physical body is a car in which your soul and spirit drive in. You have a mind that is separate from your brain. Your mind controls the brain. When your brain dies, your mind continues on. You have emotions that are separate just from neurological feelings called love, called peace, things that are different than just what your body goes through. I pinch you. You feel something. But emotionally, that doesn't mean you have to get angry and upset. You could have animal instinct or impulse, sexual drive, uh, anger, uh, uh, bad habits, addictions, but your willpower decides if it will do those things. Let me just give you an example of how willpower decides. Let's say somebody is, is uh, outside in the front here, and they're about ready to get hit by a car, okay? And, and let's say the, the person that's watching this, almost, this, this accident about ready to come forward, uh, c- come to pass, is a father, okay? So a father, one of you fathers here today is outside, no and you're watching you know. traffic, and there's an today old person, and they don't see the a car coming. They step out in traffic. The now a car is about ready to hit them. There's going to be two impulses, Physically, not spiritually, but to physical impulses that this person could feel. They could feel, I don't want to get hit by a car because I'm a father, I have children, and I need to take care of these children. The other impulse, they could say, is the herd mentality, which is if I jump and hopefully get in front of this car and spare this man, there'll be more people in my herd and that will benefit me. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? These are impulses that the body, the brain will feel. Willpower now decides which impulse it will listen to. We are not just animals that just do whatever our impulses tell us to do. Your mind decides what you will think. You can have a thought going through your brain right now of your past. And you could be thinking about what you used to do. And this brain is like a hard drive on a computer, and it captures these images. And, and it can be coming before you right now. Let's say you used to drink and party and, and and you're and you know you're here in church, and I'm talking about drinking and partying, and all of a sudden, like a slideshow, you're remembering yourself maybe back in the late 90s, you know, wearing some tight spandex and you're partying, you're kicking back some drinks, or some of you are thinking back to last night, or you know whatever well at that moment as your brain is simply reacting it's being stimulated by your ears and it's bringing these slideshows these thoughts before you your mind now determines will you meditate on those or will you delete and get them out of the way is everybody listening to me I could be here all day describing that to you, but I've preached on this before, okay? And I want you to go back in our lessons if you have any questions on this. But what we've been learning as we get into chapter 3 is that Christ is in you. And so what we mean is that Christ, yes, is in the house of your body. We call that the temple of his spirit. He is in you, so he's in the realm of where your body is. But where he is saturating, what he is touching, what he is making one with himself is... Is your soul and spirit your mind will and emotions and so what you're gonna to learn today is your responsibility now having been born again what you are to do while you are in this earthly body what do you do with the thoughts you have the feelings you have and with the desires the will the things that you want to do what do you do about that I'm going to tell you today at the beginning of the message, put your mind on Christ. Come on, somebody. Let's look to chapter 3, verse 1. The notes are on Facebook right now because I have a lot of them. You can follow along. I put them in blog form. And from this point on, he will uh, Andrew in the back will be so kindly to put up the blog form of our notes. So you will not be seeing the scriptures up here today but simply the notes. And if you can't read it, uh, look at your phone. Or we apologize. Uh, you have to go home and look at because that's the only way it will fit on there. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, we're going to read the verse, uh, excuse me, chapter w- 3, verses 1 through 17 will be our first section. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your flesh, your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is adultery. Because of these things the The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is all. Therefore, if God's chosen, holy, and beloved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as the members of one body you were all called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom wisdom and singing of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Can I hear an amen? How many brought your Bibles this morning and actually read it along with me? Can I hear an amen? Amen. If some of you are looking at the notes, that wasn't working, right? Got to bring your Bibles to church. The introduction here to chapter 3 is Paul is now going to give the climax of the application of all the previous points he's made in chapters 1 and 2. Paul uses the foundation set in chapters 1 and 2 concerning Christ in you and the sinful nature being cut off or circumcised to give the reader direct commands and practical guides to living the new life in Christ. This chapter is now going to tell you Paul's main point about what he wants you to do. Chapter 1, the entire main point is, Christ is now in you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? In the Old Testament, it was a mystery. The mystery was to the Old Testament saints like Isaiah and Ezekiel was, how is God, the great holy creator who can't even, uh, heaven and space can't even fit him because he's bigger than heaven and space. How is that great God and and creator who is holy and immense and powerful, how is he going to live in little old me? Number one, I'm unholy. If if I even touched him or he touched me, I would die. In the Old Testament, if they even touched the things that God anointed, they died. Like the Ark of the Covenant. When Uzzah saw the Ark of the Covenant was stumbling on the cart as they were moving it, Uzzah went out to reach his hand to kind of steady the Ark. And at the moment he touched the Ark, he died. So Old Testament people back in the Jewish context were saying, how is God ever going to live in me? How could we ever touch and be one with each other if I even just touched something he anointed like an ark of a covenant I die, how much more so would I die if he just came into this building or came into my heart? You all listening to me? It was a mystery. And what the Old Testament Jewish saints did not understand is that God would come in the form of man in the flesh, God the Son, making his dwelling among us, die on the cross, become the perfect sacrifice so he could be the bleach to our dirty heart sin and make our heart pure as white as snow, as the Bible says. So what they missed was Isaiah chapter 3 and the other prophecies that were there. So it was a mystery, and if they would have followed it correctly, they would have been able to see it because God wasn't playing secret with them. He was just showing them, that it was a little bit deeper than what they thought. Chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul exposes that mystery and says, Hey, Old Testament saints, you want to know about how God's going to live in you? God the Son will die for you, wash your heart, and come through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you will have God in you. That's how Ezekiel's prophecy will be fulfilled. You will have a new heart. God will walk among you. Then in chapter 2, Paul then goes on to explain what the ramifications of God living in you actually means. And he uses the Old Testament example of circumcision, where they would take children on the eighth day, uh, male children, and uh, cut off the foreskin of the male genitalia. And Paul now says, here's the illustration I want you to get in your mind. You were born a sinner with sin all over you. And on the inside, you were stained with sin. But when Jesus died on the cross for you he cut off that sin circumcised you like foreskin was cut off of a little boy's genitalia on the eighth day are you all listening to me so we then get this understanding that god is not just living in some tore up shack called my heart like oh jesus lives in my heart oh and, it, and how is your heart well it's a tore up shack i got some pornography in there i got some lust in there i got some bad junk in the truck, and jesus just loves to hang out there how many of y'all ever been over to a messy house and felt uncomfortable? Look at your neighbor. If they ain't raising their hand, their hand is the messy They're the messy house. So let's try this again. How many of y'all have ever been to a, a house that was dirty and you felt a little bit uncomfortable? How do you think Jesus would feel living in your heart when he's used to heaven, the pure dwelling of God Almighty with angels flying around him and worshiping him? He comes and lives in your heart where there's sin. It's actually a contradiction. He can't and he won't. So Paul explains the reason why is there's not just forgiveness, there's not just what we would call redemption and justification and salvation, these great theological words, but there's also sanctification and transformation. It's not that Jesus is just saying, I forgive your sins, but you're still a sinner, so I'll live with you and I'll try to help you out. No, what he's saying is you go from being a sinner to a saint at the circumcision. You go from being an old creation to a new creation. Can I hear an amen? And so now you take those two chapters, chapter one, Christ in us, the revelation of the mystery of how God would be in us. How would God the Father come to us by his Son through the Holy Spirit? Because of the cross. We then learn why and what what, what way does he come to us if we're still dirty and sinners. The way he does is by circumcising us and changing us and making us a new creation. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and passed away. Behold, all has become new. If you're new in Christ, can I hear an amen? amen so this is for you now if you're not new in christ you need to heed to the words of what pastor Bertle said repent of your sins put your faith and trust in jesus christ now we're ready everybody say we're ready all right looking at verses one and two now of chapter three of this section since then you have been raised with christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand set your minds on things above not on earthly things the summary of this section is Paul teaches the believer to set their hearts and minds on Christ and to take off the old self and live the new self. When you're looking at verses 1 and 2, Paul is making the reference to the believer being raised with Christ. That's what he said in Colossians 2, 12. That's where the circumcision took place. By Jesus dying, we die to our old self. When he rised, we are given a new self. Colossians two twelve says, having been buried with him in baptism, raised with Him through the power of God who raises the dead. So, baptism is actually symbolic of a new life. When you are getting water baptized, you come in there dry. That's your life as a sinner. You're now half in, half out of water, a point of decision. When you confess Christ, you're buried. The old things are there. If there was dirt on you, it would be washed off of you. And when you come up, you're a new creation. That baptism is representing your salvation and the work of Christ. He died to take your sins. He was buried to destroy your old nature. He was raised to give you a new nature. Now the Bible says from these two verses, the takeaway, the secret of living a God kind of life, according to Paul, is to set your heart, Cara in the Greek, affections and mind thoughts on Jesus. So what do we do now? I'm new on the inside, and I'm in this earthly body. What do I do? I set my heart, my affection on Christ. I set my mind on the things of Christ where Christ is. Did you ever hear this in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So where should my mind be on heavenly thoughts? How would heaven run a business down here on this earth? Set your mind on Christ. How would heaven manage a marriage, manage your marriage and live the same way? How would children obey in heaven? Let it be as it is in heaven on this earth. And so you now as a new creation have the choice what to do with your mind. And if we look to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a perfect body, a perfect soul and spirit, and lived in a perfect environment, yet their mind could be taken off of those things, heed the words of Satan, and then out of Satan's uh, temptation, they they obeyed it and fell. So now you could say that we are now Adam and Eve all over again in this sense. We have been delivered from our sinful nature and are given the choice of good and evil upon this earth and all that we do. And so the question is for you, what are you going to do with your mind? are you going to keep having stinking thinking? Are you going to keep making the same mistakes that Adam and Eve did? Be tempted by the devil, be lured into temptation, and continue to fall from the grace that God has given you, to continue to sin, miss the mark. Harmatia in the Greek, the word sin, means to miss the mark. It's a term of archery. You're going for the bullseye, and if you miss the bullseye, it's called a sin, a harmatea uh, And so what Paul is saying is, let's start putting our mind on the bullseye of what God wants to for us. Let's start putting our heart and affections on that. And if you look at verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why is that? Because your earthly body is still here, and it still desires earthly things. How many men, after you got saved, still desired earthly things? Can I hear an amen from the men? Women, after you got saved in your body, still desire earthly things. Those pair of shoes. Hello that extra helping of of chocolate cake. So how are we supposed to live our life in an earthly body that has its own desires? We are to put our mind on Christ, our thoughts on Christ. Now let's keep going, three and four. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Verses 3 and 4, Paul makes clear that the believer has died and now lives a new life in Christ. This new life will result in receiving glory when Christ appears at his second coming. Is there two yous or just one of you? There's just one. What happened to the old you? It died. It died. Now, we get into now a conundrum. We have a problem here in most theological circles. So we side with Wesleyan theology if you want to know our history of this. We side with the New Testament as well because I believe this is the clear teaching. There has now been this conundrum or misunderstanding in theological circles that somehow there's a old nature, a old you, and a new you, and they live together and they're battling it out every day. This is not true. Number one, you're not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You're not schizophrenic. There's not two yous. But the evidence that there would be another you that people would say to me, they would go, but I have temptation. Right? Isn't that what you would say to me? If I go, you're new, you're perfected in Christ, you don't have an old sinful nature, you would say what? You would say, but I'm tempted. Right? Isn't that what we would say back? Joe, where does my temptation come from? And this is now where we understand where temptation is rooted in. It's rooted in an earthly body. It's rooted in the earthly organs of that body, the brain of that body. When I got saved and I was literally new on the inside, the old Joe literally died, there was still a physical brain that could pop up a memory of that old Joe. But is that really who I am? How do we know we're not our brains and our bodies? Because when our bodies die, we live on. If the person has not been born again and their soul is still corrupted, when they die, they go to hell. They have not been changed. They live according to that body, according to that flesh, and therefore they will suffer the punishment of that. But in chapter 2, it says we've been cut away from that. We've been cut away from our flesh. And now in chapter 3, it literally says you have died, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. So for those of you who are dealing with this dichotomy of good on this side, a good, a good you and an evil you, you are playing make-believe. You are living in an illusion. The truth is there is one you, and that you has been born again. Now, can you put your mind back on earthly things? Yes, you can. Can Christians sin? Yes, they can. How many Christians have sinned after you became a Christian? I mean, as a Christian, you've sinned. What went wrong? What was the stumbling point? Was it a part of your nature? Did you have to sin? Did you have to give in to sin like an animal gives into instinct? Did you have to meditate on that lust, sir, on that thought? Did you have to uh, feel that way? Were you a product of sin and the devil and his control? No. When the Christian sins, what they are simply doing, we go back to Adam and Eve, the Christian is setting their mind on something that God said not to do. Because out of your mind, will, and emotions, what makes up your innermost being, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, the mind is what controls the emotions and the will. And so right at the heart, of and we call heart as well uh, our mind, it's it's synonymous because a heart, just a beating organ, really doesn't produce anything. So when the Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's really just talking about the inner youths, different names for the same thing. When we are born again, we now have the choice, will we live the new life? Or will we live the old life? And that's what he's saying. The takeaway in, ch- uh, in, in verses three and four: there are not two yous, one holy and the other sinful. If you are born again, you are a new person in Christ. Your old life is dead. You are a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come. So let's just put this theology to death. I want to read two scriptures, and then you tell me if there's two yous or one you. Okay. First, uh, Colossians chapter three, uh, three and four. For you died. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. How many yous are there, my friend? How many are there? How are you going to live now? See, that's what Paul's talking about, isn't it? You can't blame it on the devil anymore. You can't blame it on your old nature anymore. You are now set free from that nature. John chapter 8 says, who the son sets free is free indeed. So God's commands are no longer an impossibility. See, for a sinner, it's impossible to fulfill God's commands because in their nature, they are corrupted. So if I was to ask a man in, in a sinful nature right now without Christ to stop lusting, to deny the desires of sin, no matter how much she would try or she would try to reform themselves, change themselves they would have no ability to clear the hard drive and live by a new set of rules because they are corrupted from the inside out however if I now say to a new born again believer, obey God's commands, your response should be yes I can stop lusting, yes I will stop being angry yes I will Be patient. Do you understand that the Bible doesn't make suggestions like, hey, why don't you think about quitting out all that lying? But if you don't want to, it's okay if you keep doing it. You know, maybe on your taxes when you need a few extra dollars. Did you ever notice the Bible doesn't, like, make suggestions? Like, hey, young people, if you feel like it, you know, on the the days when your parents treat you real good, then, you know, obey your parents. These are called, commands in the Bible are called didactic statements, which means it's do this. They are statements of command. So you have to ask yourself this question. Is God a sadistic, mean God to tell you to do stuff that literally you can't do? Because as a Christian, I, uh, as a pastor, I keep hearing Christians use the same ex- excuses as sinners when it comes to not living in sin. For example, when a man comes to me, I love this example because it's, it's a good example. A man says, I'm struggling in, in pornography. And we say, repent, ask Jesus into your life, and be free from pornography. But I can't. See, now, it's not, now what we're having a problem with is they are now challenging the very foundation of heaven itself because God said you can. Amen. Well, I'm going to give into it just a little bit. No, the Bible says you don't ever have to get into it ever again. See, the thought that you put in there, I like to call this the but, the but theology. See, God says, stop lusting. But somebody says, but, pastor, you don't understand. I'm a man with some needs, you know. And and then, and then, you know, God says to the women, you know, stop being bitter and forgive. And the woman says, but, God, you don't know what I've been through. See, I call this the but theology. You need to get your but out the way. You need to get an I can do spirit, amen? And the Bible says you can, see, I'm just preaching the Bible today. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, help me understand this. Why is it when we go to the hip mall during Christmas season, we pray and I can do all things through Christ and get all this shopping done and still have a good parking space? Why is it we using that scripture to help us get good parking spaces at Walmart and the hip mall, but we don't apply it to living holy for God? In which was the context? The context wasn't a, you can, can you be Michael Jordan and dunk this ball? Yes, I can do all things through Christ. Let me get my, woo, look at me. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. We we use this scripture now in NASCAR. We use it in back and do all things. Like God somehow made you the invincible person. No, the scripture, the context of you doing all things are all the commands that Jesus Christ commanded you. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Your earthly body's in the world. Christ is greater than that earthly body. The devil and the demons and temptation. And J-Lo on checkout lines at the grocery store. And the Bible says greater is he that's in you. Amen. Come on, somebody. You came to a church that actually believes you can live for Jesus. Amen. We just got to get rid of stinking thinking and butt theology. Amen. Now we go to to, to, to verses 5 and onward. And let me ask you a question. Is there any kind of discussion here that Paul is having with you? Like if you feel like doing these things or if you're super spiritual and you prayed all night, and you can really do these things. Does he give you some type of a spiritual journey in this? Does he give you options or does he declare it? Let's read it, verses 5 to 9. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, which do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. How many of you are saved? Then that means you got to put to death everything you, you used to do because it has already been counted as dead by God. I love what Daniel Wallace, the theologian, New Testament theologian and Greek scholar said about this. He says, Paul's point then is that Christians should take off their dirty clothing, inappropriate behavior, and put on clean clothing behavior consistent with knowing Christ because this has already been accomplished in a positional sense at the time of their conversion. The moment you were saved, the old you died. So if you are feeling you are a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, now, according to Paul, if you really believe that and that was really true, you actually wouldn't even be saved. And that's why we have compassion. Well, you know, those who disagree and don't understand the implications of what they are saying, if there was literally still two use of you, you have not been saved. For you to be saved, you must be new. The Holy Spirit must be be in you. If the Spirit does not bear witness that you are saved, then you are not saved. And the only way you get in saved, baby, is if you get born again, a new life. That's the only way. There is no two ways about it. But now we learn where the Christian has to live their life. Look at my summary of verses 9 through 11. First, let me give you the takeaway of our previous verse because it fits um, right into this. Um or excuse me, no, we're right on track. Part C, verses 5 through 9. Let me give you the summary. Paul gives the list of things the believer must put to death. And it put to death means slay utterly and totally. Sexual immorality. If anybody doesn't know what some of these mean, talk to, uh, about it with your life group leader. But I think most of us get this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language, and lying. Though the believer has died, take away three. Though the believer has died and been cut off from the flesh, the flesh remains with the believer in their body and therefore must be put to death whenever its desires and temptations arise. So here is the living out of this. Somebody say, make it plain. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'll I'll start with myself. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. There are not two Joes, there is one Joe. I live in this body the flesh that I was given from my mom and dad that have the curse of, of Adam and Eve passed down through gener- generation, okay? So I live in a body, but when this body dies, Joe Irostick gets to go to heaven. Are you all listening to me? What makes me me goes down. The body dies, but I go to heaven. So I live now in this body. This body has illustrations we have throughout the Bible. There's three illustrations I'll give you to think about your body. In one place, the body call uh, the Bible calls your body a tent. So Joe is living in the tent of the body right now. One day I will take off the tent of this body and be forever with God. Is everybody with me? Okay. The Bible also calls your body a jar of clay, and in that jar of clay is a treasure. So the treasure, Joe, is living in a jar of clay. The jar of clay can be broken. It can go back to dust where it came. But Joe, that treasure in the jar of clay will live on. Is everybody with me? The Bible also calls the body a temple. So the Holy Spirit is in the temple of my body, and I am living in that body, and together in the body, God and I fellowship together because that is his temple. So I don't need to go to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to have fellowship with God. All I need to do is have fellowship with God in my body with my soul. So the Bible calls my body a tent, it calls it a jar, and it calls it a temple. Is everybody with me? That body has been corrupted because of sin. What makes up Joe's body is the physiological things you can see both inwardly and outwardly. That's what makes up my body. So I am living as a stranger now in this body because now I desire to live for God. I desire to obey his commands. I desire to only have affection for my wife, not to get angry, not to cuss. But my body has desires of its own because it is a living organism. The body is living. Your hand is living. The brain is living and so forth. And so now the duality that I deal with is not two Joes. One Joe is a body or and one Joe is a soul. The duality that the Christian lives with is the physiological body that simply deals with thoughts of the brain, feelings from the stimulus of nerves, because you know if you're tired, you get a bad attitude. How many of you, If you get tired physically, you start getting a bad attitude? Hello? Women, certain time of the month? Hello? don't no matter how saved you are, amen? It starts to come out, doesn't it? Because it's a physiological thing. Menopause, older women, come on. Nobody, no, no women say amen for that. They're like, hey, we're going to talk about menopause, Pastor. And then action or instinct it, it, you know guys who have been in a fight you ever you know you ever get you know for me you know you, you punch me in the nose you know you sting my nose how many guys know that stings right there you want to hurt somebody now right okay i don't care how christian you are i would say guys try it with your neighbor but that might start world war three up in your boom let's see how you react to that oh i love jesus <laughs> Ah, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't have to react like an animal to that feeling right now. I have control of these feelings. Okay? So Joe is living in this body temporarily. And guess what? One day the Bible says this body dies. And because of Jesus in the resurrection, I get a resurrected body. And that resurrected body now will correlate perfectly with my new soul. So what do I do today when thoughts and memories and temptation comes from the physiological world I live in? I put it to death. Okay? So they say... Uh, you know, people who are not into polygamy, people are into these sex parties. I just can't believe how perverted our world is getting these days. You know, I, I watch Dr. Phil. That's one of my, you know, my little things I like to do, by the way. It's my guilty pleasure. And so, you know, Dr. Phil just blows my mind, man. These people that are on there, like polyandry now, people trying to have like four different ones, like be married to a man and three women. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on in this world. And one of the points, you know, talking about sexual perversion, because by the way, it's one of the biggest things and it's named the most right here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desire are four out of that list right there. It's all dealing with sexual sin. So it's, as a pastor, it's probably one of the biggest things I deal with in people's lives. Paul dealt with it, and so I think it's the one we can relate to the most because it deals with our physical body, and it's like, how do you get away from that? Well, well you know, when I listen to Dr. Phil and these guys are talking about, you know, men weren't meant to be, you know, in monogamous relationships, and women weren't, you know, meant to do this, and they get into all these discussions. When you sit there and listen to the sinner talk, it makes sense to your brain, like, you that makes sense because a man could have sex multiple times a day without Jesus. A man could have mult- sex multiple times a day with multiple people and feel nothing wrong in their conscience. Let's just be honest, man. We, we, we could do that. It's getting real quiet now. That's okay. Men without Christ literally could do that. And, and 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 for men to deny that, Just let's just keep it real. Let's not be silly right now, okay? Okay. Men could really, I mean, men, women, listen to me. That's why you need a man that loves Jesus, because only by the grace of God. That's why, I mean, you look at pornography with men. Men will look at 100 images, and it's just the way we all are. But when a man becomes a Christian, he has that same physical body, but now he has to put that desire to death. So you look at a man like myself, and as I say, I want to use myself as an example. Have I always been perfect? No. But there is a testimony that I love to give men. Haven't looked at pornography since Thanksgiving of 96. That's pretty awesome, right? If you don't think that's pretty awesome, ask privately men in your life that you could have that conversation with ladies and ask them, what's the last time they looked at pornography? Most men can't say that long of a time. Fifteen years not looking at pornography. And that's the big thing here, right? So I'm just giving an example for me, and for somebody else. It could be you know idolatry, greed, buying. Like I said, women buying shoes or something. You know, and I just keep putting that in somewhere. Like I don't care about shoes, okay? Whatever you care about, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, just whatever you care about in this world. I like guns. Like if woman's like, I like guns, okay? My example here is for sexual perversion. I was watch this. So today I'm saved. I love Jesus. I'm a new person. But my body through pheromones testosterone, through sexual attraction that they can point out physiologically. They can show this, that there is an attraction in Joe to women. There is a stimulant towards sexual activity. And, and you know, they, they asked guys one time, and I was never asked to do this, you know, hit a button, you know, and, and every time you think about sex in the next hour. You know, and they were hitting that button all the time. Basically, they found out that men were thinking about sex uh, basically half of the time of their life, you know. Like like every, every Every minute, like 30 seconds out of every minute was dealing with sex. Like, I'm thinking about sex, going home, having sex, getting married to have sex. You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is just so real it's embarrassing right now, okay? Now, you're going to think, Pastor, I'll never trust you again. That's okay. If you need a perfect pastor, this ain't the church for you, okay? I'm just the one that keeps it real, okay? The rest of them I'm just playing games. I'm keeping it real. Every time I have the thought of sex or the desire of sex for someone other than my wife, I now have to put that to death. When I continue in the putting of it to death, it is counted dead. That means it is not alive. So the temptation comes. Look at this picture of J. Lo at the grocery store. So here I am. Here it comes. Stimulant, testosterone, right? Right? I can't smell it, so there's no pheromone, but that would be a temptation if she was there. Kardashian, whoever you all like here. Okay, come on, guys, whatever your flavor is. Let's talk, okay? So once that comes up, I'm just, just way out there on a limb. I'm just going to keep going just dive in it right now, you know what I'm saying? What did y'all talk about our pastor's sexual problems? That's what we talked about for like, like 20 minutes. He just told us over and over and over again. Just never thought he was that crazy. I never thought about him like that. You know, and it's, and it's like the women are saying to their husband, "That's I'll never let him counsel me again, honey. I'll never let him counsel me again. By the way, that's why I don't let men counsel women. That's why we don't do that practice in the church because we know every man at any given time can fall into that temptation. At any given time, any man, hello, can fall into that temptation. Okay? So here comes, you know, I'm, I'm here in the checkout line. There's the picture of JLo, and it's like, oh, what do I do? I put it to death. So I am holy, I have not sinned, and I've counted it as dead. Right now I get into my car and here comes the girls that are wearing these short shorts that look like they were spandexed on how many guys know I'm talking about it's a struggle guys let's just keep it real right it's a struggle because these women don't know what's going on with these shorts I know I got brothers just looking at me like pastor you exposing me I know I'm going to expose it women if you ever are with your man and those type of girls come by you just take them and say look at me honey and just kiss them because it is a temptation it is. Now, for men are like, I'm not tempted with that. Okay, Boys Town is its own temptation, fellas. So, listen, if you're going to say to me, oh, I ain't tempted by no woman in no short skirt. Okay, God bless you. Tim Tebow, loving person. Okay, we love you. That's all right. If you, if you love Tim, oh, look at his muscles. Oh, Tim Tebow, praise the Lord. I'd like to get me a man, you know. And, and that's in and Exodus International, dealing with same-sex attraction, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, okay? So I'm just talking about me, and if I was talking about Tim Tebow and my my problem with Tim Tebow, would you still love me and have you as as a pastor? Some of y'all decided on that. I hope you would. If God saved me out of homosexuality, what's the difference, y'all? It's all sin? I'm not saying pedophile and, you know, some things are against nature to the point, you know, where we talk about crime and all this. I'm just talking about our sexual desires, Right? Okay, so I count this as dead, and I count it as dead. I'm living holy. I'm living according to Christ. I put on purity. So purity is now on me. Kindness is now on me. And so one of the things that I've trained my brain to do from my mind is when I see women, I think of thoughts about them about God. Oh, child of God, daughter of the Lord, uh, you know, pure and holy. So what I do is I start training myself. Instead of looking at women as sexual objects, I start looking at them as children of God. And so you can't lust. uh, You know, I don't. Lust after Bethany. I don't lust after my mom. So I start to train my mind to think of these people as daughters and mothers and, and, and that can that allows me to live a Christian life, a holy life. That's how I should live every single day of my life. Now, if I ever give in to that temptation and I lust, and the furthest I've ever gone into that temptation is a mental lust. So I've never acted on it with sex with myself, and I've never gone to the point of pornography. So, where my battle would be, as Joe telling you who I am, my battle right here is impurity and lust. Okay, so and an evil desire. I guess it would. So, sexual immorality would deal with actually acting on it either with sex with yourself, sex with other sexual things. So, so my issue right there is going to be in the lust. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that to lust after that woman is sin. So now let's say the, the magazine rack is there, and now I don't do what's right. I don't put it to death. As a Christian, I start to look at it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's looking fine. I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. At that moment, I've sinned, haven't I? And at that moment, I have acted according to my uh, earthly nature. Now I have a chance, a choice rather, at this point. What am I going to do? I am either going to repent and ask Christ to purify me of that, put it to death, and continue on in a Christian life, or that sin will remain unrepentant and begin to grow as a weed within my heart. And it can lead then to another sin, to another sin, that before you know it, I could be acting on that sin, sex with myself, sex with you know other women, and then I am now continuing into more sin, and at some point in my heart, the faith, the heart that I have for God can turn cold and hard to where now God's command to not do it, to not do it, is a voice that I don't want to hear anymore, so I break relationship with Him for my own desire to have sex and sin, and now I have backslid, I have divorced the Lord, and now I continue on without Him. That's where it can lead. James chapter one gives you the steps of sin. It first starts as a desire. When the desire comes, it's temptation. If you give into it, it becomes sin. Sin when it is full grown brings brings death. So what, are, what am I to do? Whenever that lust comes, put it to death. Put it to death. Live holy. So now do you understand the concept of Christ in you? Now do you understand I must put my mind on Christ. I must put my affections on Christ. Now if that's what I'm doing, what should you do? The same thing. Come on, somebody say the same thing. The takeaway from three is though the believer has died and been cut off from the flesh, the flesh remains with the believer in their body and therefore must be put to death whenever its desires and temptation arise. Now continue on 9 through 11. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Let me just pause here. See, the new self is being renewed. Why does something new need to be made new again? Because I don't always act new. Thus, God has to come and clean me and make me new again. I don't have to get born again, 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 and again every time I sin, but whenever I sin, I... I need to be renewed, made new again to the state of purity. Are you listening? So this water's been filtered. If it gets dirty, what do we do? Filter it again. Gets dirty, filter it again. How many know toilet water eventually gets filtered into drinking water? Some of you all haven't studied what, what happens to water. Do you know that eventually water makes its entire cycle again and again and again? You know, I'm telling you the truth. But the good thing is, you're not drinking it straight out the toilet, right? So here's the deal this water's clean. If it gets dirty, what does it do? Filter. Your heart is clean. If you should sin, get renewed again. Get renewed. Renew me, oh God. Change my heart. Change my affection. That's what we're saying. Change my thinking, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. The heart of repentance from David, Psalms 51, talks about that process of renewal as a believer. Can I hear an amen? Here, the, the Bible says in verse 11, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And literally, what the Scythians were, were and barbarians were the hideous of sinners. So we could literally say here, there's neither bisexual or homosexual, gay, or straight, it doesn't matter what kind of sins you've been dealing with, because that's why he says barbarian, it doesn't matter if you're a barbarian, or these guys from Cynthia, if you're a slave, or if you're free, Christ is in all of us the same way, who are born again, and he's changing us the same way, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, So we'll get to that in just a moment, but verses 9 through 11, Paul boldly declares that the old self has been taken off, and the believer has put on the new self therefore to be saved according to paul the old self must be taken off and the new put on born again john 3 3 unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of god plus in this new life once prior nationality or social position or propensity to sin greek or jew italian with a bad attitude it doesn't matter circumcised barbarian slave doesn't matter christ is in all What is the takeaway? Number four, because believers are new and yet still carry the body of death or flesh with them in this life, Paul's prior command in in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, to set one's mind and heart on Christ is very important. What believers do with their heart and mind determines the kind of life they will live, whether they will live in the new self as they really are or in the old self as they once were. I'm going to say this to you again. The command you got in chapter 3 verse 1, therefore set your minds and your hearts on Christ, on things above, now determines the kind of life you will live. Will you live in the new self as you really are or will you live in your old self, which you once were? And if you are new and you live like the old, you will not have a happy life. You will not be blessed you will not inherit rewards and blessings from the Lord, and you will cause people around you a tremendous amount of hurt because you didn't learn to count those things as dead. Your marriage will suffer. What you do on the job will suffer. I just, I just heard of another story of a pastor committing adultery. He has been saved as long as I was. He was a missionary to Argentina, cheated on his wife. It doesn't matter who you are. Those sins in your life will corrupt you. Sin is not just a one-time affair. Sin brings addiction and ultimately death. Sin will hook you in with its teeth, no matter what kind of sin it is. Whether it's the sin of greed, whether it's the sin of anger and rage, whether it's the sin of selfishness. You know, I was using mine with perversion. It doesn't matter what that sin is. It will gnaw at you and eat at you until it devours everything and brings death. The Bible says the work of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't just want to steal steal your life. He, He wants to kill it. And he doesn't just want to kill you. He wants to destroy you forever in eternal hellfire. Do you understand? So many times people say, well, I just messed up. I'll get over it. No, if you don't get over it, you're going to die and go to hell because of that. I mean, if you don't get forgiveness, just moving past it doesn't change anything. Now look at the the verses 12 and onward. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I just want to stop right here. What does God call his people there in Colossae? Number one, chosen people. Somebody say, I'm chosen. What's the second thing he calls you? Holy Are you going to be holy or are you holy now? Why? Because you've been saved now. Do you always live it? No, but you should be renewed to it as often as you sin. So your state of being is holy. What is the next thing he calls you? Dearly loved. Everybody say, I am chosen. I am holy and I am dearly loved in Christ. Because you are chosen, because you are holy, because you are loved, clothe yourself now with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in you. In your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, songs, and hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, see, it's not just sometimes. Whatever you do, whether in word, how you talk, how you act in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I hear an amen? Paul in chapter, uh, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, describes believers as chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Second, he lists the attributes of the believer's new self. You know, instead of perversion and lust and anger and rage, the believer now is to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love, which binds it all together. Then he commands the believer to let three things rejuvenate and become a part of their life. Whereas an unbeliever, it was never a part of their life. But now he says, make these things a part of your life. Number one, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Do you understand that it says, let the peace of God. He maketh me lay down by the streams of water. How many know you've got to sometimes get God to, uh, God's got to force you a little bit. But eventually you've got to stop resisting and let him take worry out of your mind. Let him bring peace. You let the peace of God. And that basically means that brain, that, you know, shooting through all these thoughts, you say in your mind. I will not allow this to affect who I am. I will allow the peace that passes my understanding to guard my heart and my mind. Isn't it something how scriptures come alive right now? The peace that passes understanding. Everybody say the peace that passes my understanding will guard my heart and mind. See we just put it to a rhythm. The peace that passes your understanding will guard your heart and mind. The second thing he says, what... D- to dwell in you is he says uh, be thankful so a heart of thankfulness is to dwell within you you choose to be thankful you choose whether or not to look at the negative or the positive positive. and now with the power of Christ you can choose to be thankful and thirdly you can let the word of Christ dwell in you what is the best remedy for stinking thinking the word of God so when I'm ascending my mind to heaven it doesn't just mean like this esoteric place that you know like I'm ascending my mind to a blue light. No, when I'm putting my mind, when I'm putting my mind on Christ, when I'm think, seeking things above, in actuality, where are the thoughts of Christ, the mind of Christ in His Word? Are y'all listening to me? So when it says put your mind on Christ, are you just supposed to sit back and look, think about heaven? Oh, I'm thinking about heaven. <sighs> thinking about little Angel Gabriel just came by. Those little naked baby angels that we see in bathrooms all the time in Christian women's houses that just freak me out. Never understand why they gotta be naked with little chubby bodies and everything. But it, I'm thinking about these angels. I'm thinking about all, oh, I'm thinking about cool colors in heaven. Oh, colors I've never seen, you know, colors that don't exist, you know, all this deep stuff. No, when you're thinking about Christ in heavenly places, what you're thinking about is his word because it's been revealed. You're setting your mind on his word. And then what does he say? Now teach and admonish each other. So we should be teaching each other this, right? So when you're in a car and you're driving down Humble Park and all of a sudden we see the booty shorts and all that, what should we say to each other, brothers? Holiness, holiness. Sing it with me, brother. Just look at me. Just sing it with me. Holiness is what I long for. Right? That's what we should do. We should admonish each other. Like Don't you be lusted. And that's why when we get together with each other, men, we ask each other, how are you doing? Are you living holy? And then we confess our sins. James says one to another. So if sinning and rage is an issue, and for me, that's another issue I deal with, you know, my my biggest things is, you know, lust, you know, anger, and then selfishness. So if you can want to pray for me and my struggles, those are those three things. And so when I get together with a brother, he'll say, have you lost your temper? Have you confessed losing your temper? Have you changed your thinking and repented of how you You lost your temper, so you don't do it again. Because brothers admonish each other. Sisters admonish each other. That's what we're supposed to do. And then lastly, uh, 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 or next rather, what are we supposed to do after that? Sing songs together. Do you know that singing is an easy way to transform your mind and heart? How many of you heard a song like, let's do the twist, take me by my little hand, and go like this? How many know when you heard that song, you wanted to start shaking your hips? Because it transforms. You didn't care how silly you looked. You just started doing that right there, didn't you? You see, because singing transforms the way we think. It really does. Why is it we tell our children not to listen to crazy music? Because it, it, it transforms. There's a spirit that comes through singing and doing songs. It's a time where you kind of speak to your subconscious. And so the idea is as you're letting the word of God dwell in you, you're to admonish it to each other and you're to sing it to one another. And then lastly, do everything. In the name of Jesus Christ. How many want to do everything in Jesus' name? The takeaway here is know know that God says you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Live like Jesus. Have compassion in those attributes. Follow his commands and let the peace and word of God dwell within you. Lastly, in these last verses, and we won't spend a lot of time on it today, though I wish we could, in verses 18 to 25, now he's concluding his letter. He's explained it all in major detail. Now he's just going to speak in general terms, like, you know, husbands, be cool with your wives. Wives, you know, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents, slaves. And we'll talk about slavery in just a moment. But he's now just getting to the conclusion of it. And then in chapter 4, he's basically saying goodbye. So you've met, uh, you've heard the, the biggest climax of the book of Colossians, and we'll summarize it here in just a minute. In it, but now look at how he just gives some more general details. Wives, submit to your husbands, is fitting in the Lord, verse 18. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Somebody say, everything. Okay, children, how much did you obey your parents in what things? Everything. There you go. Obey them, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, this would be, I'll just give you the little hint here. It's bosses and employees, okay? Somebody say everything. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence of the Lord. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. See, that's where we talk about work, and I'll explain slavery and how that applies to work. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. Ban, would you come quickly, please? Paul gives the biblical outline of social order, husbands and fathers and wives and children, slaves. The basic concept is submit, love, and obey. Verses 18 to 25, Paul commands the Colossi church, the same things he taught in the Ephesus church about family and social order. If you remember, Paul was in Ephesus, and that's how Epaphras came and started the church of Colossi. So what he told the Ephesians, he's definitely telling the Colossians. Everybody tracking with me? So does that kind of sound familiar? If those of you who have read the Bible, well, that's because Ephesians and Colossians they're like right next to each other. Here is the takeaway: Why submit to your husbands? This is not submit to men who beat you up and abuse you. This is submit in the sense of if there is a democracy with two voices, there'll never be a uh, two votes. There'll never be peace. One vote has to submit. God asked in the family that the wife would submit her voice, her vote a vote. She can have a voice. So when my wife and I, we work through issues, I'm like, honey, what do you think? And if we disagree, and then I'll say, this is what I think. And we'll go back and forth, and she has a voice. But according to the scripture, the one who submits their vote and says, well, I'll go with what you say, is the wife to the husband. Now, this puts on actual more responsibility of the husband because he'll be judged by the times that he took his vote over hers. It's not for the I told you so, but God will literally judge him if he did things inappropriate to his wife and to his family because he had that authority. However, if he submits himself to God, and I always say good men submit to other men, so women, that's what you want to see in your husbands or potential husbands, that they're not only they're not the only ones telling people what to do. Good men know how to submit to other men. I submit to Brother Anthony and so forth. But a good man, even if he makes the wrong decision and he's serving Christ, God will correct the decision because God put the Holy Spirit in him as a corrector. Amen. And there's been many times, my wife and I, not many, but I should say all the times we've disagreed, in those times, many of those times, God will then bring me to a different decision because it's like, well, you know, I said this and you submitted to it and yeah, we can go forward in this. But as I went away thinking, God spoke to me some other ideas and how do you like this It comes out to be better. But the wife is supposed to be in her heart willing to say, I submit my vote to my husband. The second thing we learn is that husbands are to love their wives. And so this is why I say to husbands, yeah, the wife is to submit to you. And yes, you can pull that card and say, honey, I pulled down the submittance card. You got to obey. I just pulled it out. But if your wife is not walking around with joy, if she's not peaceful, uh, peaceful in her heart and happy, husbands, you have abused your wives and you're uh, making her obey has caused a hindrance in your prayers. And the Bible actually says that, that if you mistreat your wife because you keep saying submit, submit, submit and it breaks her spirit, you will have your prayers hindered. That's what the Bible says in Peter. Can I hear an amen? So the check and balance there is the wife is saying, okay, husband, I'll submit to you, but I'm submitting to you knowing that you're going to love me and treat me right. That's why, wives, you got to pick the right husband that will only use that submittance card when it's really something important, but he's willing to change and be, you know, corrected as he goes by God. And then husbands, you need to make sure you pick the right wife so you're not fighting and arguing all the, t- all the time so that she can trust your leadership because she sees that you love her. It's submittance and love balancing each other out. And the Bible actually compares that to us in the church in Ephesians, doesn't it? We submit to him, but he's not pounding it on us, right? He gives us a choice. And we choose it, and when we do, it goes well with us because he always treats us right. Amen? Amen. How many know Jesus treats you right? I'm getting married again. The next time I won't be a bride, baby. Y'all listening to me? The bride of Christ and the church. The br- okay, some of y'all got that. Children, obey your parents. That's just obvious. Bible commands it in everything. I would say in everything that does not cause you harm or sin. That would be obvious as well in the context there. If they say, you know, go kill somebody or, you know, do drugs or something crazy, breaking the law or harm, don't do it. But in everything else, making your bed, amen. Come on, making your bed, getting good grades, being home on time. It's funny, like when I do elevate, they get all loud. What, what, you know? But when I say obey your parents, it's it's like you would think there was no teenagers in here right now. I can't even get an amen. You know what I'm saying, youth pastor, come on. I even got a drummer up here. I can barely hear a little squeak out of him. And the next thing, amen, we'll move in right along. Fathers, don't discourage your children. What that means is if you've ever had a dad that's really hard on you, the Bible says that's ungodly. We don't want to crush our children's spirit with our desires for them. You know, I want you to be the best, to be the best. And then by doing that, we discourage them. Don't be like that, fathers. Encourage then when we get into slavery, the side note is I'll read it to you very quickly. Quickly, And, and if you have questions, you can go to Forum Spring. I'll send you more links. There's uh, five things I want you to know in regards to slavery in the Roman Empire. Number one, slavery in the Roman culture was different in many ways than what the U.S. did to Africans in the 1600s to the 1800s. Uh, number two, over 50% of all people living in Rome were slaves. So this was really a part of their economic uh, culture. So over half of all the people in all kinds of jobs, doctors were slaves, etc., uh, number three, slavery was not based on skin color, but primarily on lost wars or debt. Okay, so it didn't really matter if you were black, pink, or purple. If you lost a war, you were chances are you're going to be a slave because they were an imperial uh, a, a culture. They conquered lands. And if you owed money, you would go into a, a, a slavery. Paul also taught slaves were to treat, uh, slave masters were to treat their slaves as Jesus the master treats them. And that's just in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, which I think should be at the end of chapter 3, really. It says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know also you have a master in heaven. And then lastly, Paul was in a place, when Paul was in a place to change the social order, remember these letters were not political uprisings or revolutionary, they were just simply instructing people. When Paul was in a place to change the social order, he did tell Christians to release their f- slaves, like he did with Philemon in chapter 1, 15 through 16, who then is, uh, uh, excuse me, with Onesimus, is the slave, but the book is Philemon. He, ph- he tells Philemon, Philemon, the slave master, to release his slave, Onesimus, and in this book, Colossians, Colossians, he says, Onesimus now serves with him. So that's pretty awesome. Can I give you the summary of chapter three as you stand up to your feet today? Can somebody bless the Lord today for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Let it dwell richly within you. It's been a challenge going through these series every week. I hope that you've enjoyed it. It's not something we normally do, but we've been reading verse by verse through the Bible. Isn't that pretty cool? Hope that you've been encouraged and you will apply it. Here's the summary. It's two points. Very simple. Set your hearts and minds on Christ and live the new life he has for you. Number two, follow the order of the Bible for blessed marriages, families, and society. And so what we do is we take the slave admonishment and we put that into bosses and employees. Bosses, don't be mean to the people that work for you. And those who are employees, don't disrespect your bosses. That's the application we get. Altar workers, would you come, please? I want to ask you today to think of three things with me right now as I listed out my three that the earthly nature in you desires against the will of God. Would you think of those three things right now? Mine was lust, selfishness, and anger. I'm born again, but those come to me the most. What are three things that come to you the most that take you away from serving God? I want to make this message practical today. Think of them, and now make a decision to put them. death. How do you put them to death? You repent of them and count them as dead and you ask the Lord to renew your mind and your behavior so you do not give in to them. How many believe now as Christians there are behaviors you can stop and never do again? Like for example, I used to steal. Guess what? I haven't stolen since I got saved. Can some of you make that decision today and God give you the grace to do that? Hello? How about this? I used to smoke and drink. I don't smoke and drink anymore. Can somebody here get through that addiction? Hello? I used to curse and get upset. Filthy language. That was one of the things we listed. I haven't cursed in 16 years. Why am I telling you these testimonies? Because I'm saying if I have changed behaviors, you can change behaviors. And what I love to do is I love to see what God is doing in my life over the years. You know, at first, you know, perversion was like I was having sex with other women. And then, you know, then I was lusting and all of this. And I look at 16 years of serving the Lord. The power of perversion over me is gone. It is dead. Today, I don't ever have to lust after another woman again. And that, by the way, friends, is true repentance to say, I desire to never do it again. So would you with me today, just raise up your hands now and say, Lord, I put to death and name out those three things before we go right now. Come on, I put to death perversion. I put to death selfishness. I put to death anger. And with your hands raised now say to the Lord clothe me with the opposite in the spirit say Lord clothe me with purity clothe me oh God with selflessness clothe me oh God with compassion clothe me oh God in your righteousness renew me oh Jesus transform me oh God Come on, 30 seconds today. Make the application of today's message. Your heart cry. Set your minds on Christ today. Set your hearts on Christ today. Let the word of God dwell in your heart today. Come on, let peace dwell in your heart today. Let God change you. For sin, I make no excuse for my sins today. Hallelujah! I believe you transform me, I believe you change me. I believe I can walk out these doors and never live in that sin again. I've put on the new me, I've been changed, I've been renewed. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I will do all things unto you, my God, yes, Lord yes lord i believe i'm a new creation i believe i once was dead but now i'm alive i believe i once was a sinner but now i'm a saint i once was lost but now i'm found i'm your chosen i'm your beloved i am holy i am righteous in your eyes today the fruit of the spirit blossom in my heart today I overcome the evil one. The commands of the Lord are a joy to my soul. The commands of the Lord are uplifting to my life. He who began that work in me will finish it, complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. This treasure that I have on the inside of me is the real me. One day this perishable shall put on imperishable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Hallelujah. Woo. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray, and those who need prayer can come forward. But I'm going to pray. I am going to pray what Paul said, because I can't preach three without reading parts of four. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I pray over you now that you will devote yourself to prayer, to ask God to set your mind on those things, because prayer will expose them. God, make Metro Praise International a house of prayer. That they'll be sensitive to repent when they sin, be guided by your voice. And then he goes on to say, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. God, I pray that when we walk out of here, our lives will become a testimony to others. Everybody's looking for change, God. Everybody wants a second chance at life, Lord. Let them see what we found in you. And I pray, Lord, as we come back next week for the conclusion of this message, that, Lord, we'll bring our friends and family with us so they can receive you on the inside just like we have. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen. Can you bless them today? Come on, can I get a shout of hallelujah? Hallelujah! Amen. You're dismissed. Slap somebody high five and say, Christ in you. Amen. If you need prayer for anything today, our altar workers are here to overcome sin.